Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good morning, good afternoon, uh, whichever it is. Uh, my name is Terry Shellington, and it's my honor to be moderator this afternoon. So uh, let us get going. Uh, I want to welcome you to the Council of Public Affairs and remind you to turn your cell phones off and put $11 in the basket. Um, uh, we're a volunteer organization, and we've already taken in three memberships this morning, really. And I sure, at least by the time I finish uh, hitting you up for this, uh, there'll be a flood of them. So uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're not a member and you'd like to be, uh, check in with Annalise to my right, your left. Um, I want to thank our partners, uh, Country Kitchen Catering, who always treat us well. Um, the uh, Shaw TV, who, who will um, show this program at 4.30 Sunday afternoon and I think several other times during the week. We're live on CKSU Radio, which is why we like to start on time these days. And the Lethbridge Herald uh, for their uh, support too. So the usual format, we'll, we'll uh, uh, try to get the speaker stopped by, um, by 12.30 and then 12, half an hour for lunch and then the uh, 1 to one thirty questions, remarks, and outrageous thoughts and whatever. So uh, we really are excited to have uh, Vaughn Hembroff here this afternoon. Um, Vaughn has a long uh, <clears throat> resume, actually. Um, he's a retired justice of the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta, uh, graduated from LCI here in town, and did his university studies in BC. Um, he has done a number of things in the community, including three terms on city council, I gather, and uh, has been president of the Lethbridge Bar Association and also uh, the Legal Aid Society of Alberta. And uh, gee, I think it's 50 years membership in the Lethbridge Wise Men's uh, Club, um, not to mention the YMCA membership. So uh, we're honored to have uh, uh, Vaughn here, and he's going to speak on uh, the use of force by uh, police and uh, the ramifications and issues around that. Welcome to Sackville. I guess the first comment I would make is don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I, we all have our own views in this regard, and I'm sure some will be expressed, some have already been expressed. I just about didn't get in here uh, because the folks had me pinned against the wall. The other thing that I would say is that uh, I feel kind of sad that Terry expects a whole bunch of new memberships after this. He may have quite a few wanting to get their money back. Um, I introduced myself as someone who has had an excellent relationship with our police force, both as a citizen and as a person who was involved in the law in this province and particularly this city for 50 years, hard to believe. Um, as in most cases of any kind of occupation you could think of, there's always found to be a bad apple among all of the good ones. And that's most assuredly so with our police forces. But my experience has been that the bad apple is rare, uh, is mostly weeded out, and um, <laughs> dealt with in a manner that we'll talk about uh, in due course. Again, uh, I like to say, I 
again, everybody's got bad folks, even lawyers, if you can believe it, I find that hard to believe. I mentioned that outside that uh, an examination of the statistics, and I will not be talking about a lot of statistics, that they bore me, and I'm sure they'll bore you, is that in 2012, there were more than 31,000 incidents of people phoning the police for all sorts, with sorts of things, whether it was for cat in the tree, or the mail didn't get there on time, uh, or whether the neighbor was watering their garden and shouldn't be, uh, up to very serious things. But the, the point that I would make is that of those uh, 31,000, uh, less than 100 resulted in uh, reports or complaints uh, to the police, about the police, uh, dealing with the police, that in fact, uh, of them, only a handful were seen sort of through to some sort of sort of action. Again, I'll touch on this, I hope, uh, in a bit of time, because we have a very sophisticated process for complaining about police force uh, activity or improper activity. While it may be that uh, uh, there are some things that you will miss me talking about, I invite you to either note them or talk about them yell at me, uh, whatever you want, when we're done. But my own experience, and I said this to the, uh, the press, uh, I've never had a scrum before, that's quite, quite a bit of fun actually, but I said to the press that I'd much rather respond to comments and questions than to give some dry lecture. Anyways, I wanted to confirm at the outset that I discussed this topic with Terry and, and with Ruth, and uh, I would not well, on particular cases, although we'll talk about them, and they are in the forefront of these particular days. Um, and of course, I would refer to the, the incident in Toronto and, and the, the um, Vancouver tasering. They wanted me, as you see in the, in the material that you got, to talk about um, the nature uh, of the force that's being used, how, how it's being used, what right there is, what obligations there are, and I will most assuredly do that. Uh, they wanted to talk about things that I wasn't prepared to talk about in terms of the use of the words like brutality and stuff. I, I don't think that's, that's appropriate. What I do see is that we need to discuss carefully uh, how much force should be used in particular circumstances, and I will talk about that. And where does the right to use that force come from? Um, I am sure that, that you would agree with me and with the police uh, establishments that no use of force should ever be seen as casual or inappropriate. It's not, uh, it, to my experience. Again, there's no such thing as never. But if you look around, uh, you would find that I think that to be true. The, the question. The first question asked today is, what are the guidelines uh, for the use of force by the police? Now, interestingly enough, when the uh, guidelines are set out, they cover all of us as citizens, police, and persons alike. I'm going to refer to the criminal code. I can hardly lift it now, but when I was a kid lawyer, uh, it was about maybe a third of this or less. It now consists of more than 
or almost 900 separate sections uh, with some of the most convoluted stuff that you'll ever read. And this is, this is our criminal code. In it, and very close to the beginning, is set out the principles that, that covers the use of force uh, in the uh, protection of the community and in the doing of the police duties. Um, again, as I said earlier, at the risk of putting you to sleep, than you, a deeper sleep than you probably are already, uh, I would review the provisions of use of force by referring specifically to the, to the criminal code. There is a section very near to the beginning, and it reads very simply, everyone who is required or authorized by law to do anything in the administration of, uh, or enforcement of the law as a private person, and I emphasize that this goes throughout, this is the same rules for everybody, as a peace officer or public officer, or in aid of a peace officer, is if he or she, I would stop to comment, the criminal code has no she, is he? Uh, it's, I guess they think that all the bad guys are going to be guys and not, not ladies. <laughs> but there's no she's in the criminal code, it's all he's. Uh, if he acts on reasonable grounds, he's justified in doing what is required or authorized to do, and in using as much force as is necessary for that purpose. And it goes on to say, a person is not justified for the, for the purposes of the use of force in using force that is intended or is likely to cause death or grievous bodily harm unless the person or police officer believes on reasonable grounds that it is necessary for the self-preservation of the person or the preservation of any other person that, that, that uh, such person is, is protecting. So again, I'll stop and comment again that everything is justified or is, is measured on reason, reasonables. It has to be reasonable use of force. And it can only be used in circumstances where you, if, if you're going to shoot someone to death, where you yourself may be uh, in danger of losing your life or the person who you're protecting may be. And so that's all laid out right at the very start. The words used here are intended or likely to cause death or other injury, and they have to be interpreted in each particular circumstance uh, where uh, a case arises that comes before the court. Um, and those words, if, if you think about the use of reasonable, what's reasonable to you may not be reasonable to me and vice versa. Uh, what's necessary may not be something to you, it may be very much to me. It sure would be necessary if I'm a police officer looking down the barrel of somebody else's gun, as has happened and as I have been involved in as, as a judge, to have to make a quick decision what's necessary and what's reasonable. Um, it's certainly not reasonable uh, to uh, stand there and say, please don't shoot, uh, I don't have any guns, if you've got a gun. But nor is it reasonable, in my respect, of view, to pull out a gun and start shooting. It doesn't happen that way, at least it shouldn't if it does. And that perhaps will bring us later to the Toronto uh, uh, situation. And the law does hold everyone responsible for the use of excessive force. And that's important to understand. It's not just the police officers. The further section to which I'll refer but not read 
is that the force can be, the reasonable force can be used as is required to prevent the activity that is going on that shouldn't, that, that you're concerned about. And that, uh, again, is a hard concept to sort of get into your head. When you arrive, one of the classic examples around our community would be when you arrive at a, a home having been called by a distraught uh, uh, wife or partner because your partner is acting in a very violent manner. You don't know what you're going to get to. You don't know what you're going to, what's going to happen. Uh, you don't know uh, if you're going to have to use force or whether you can talk people out of it. And I would ask all of you, you can put it into your own mind, what it would be when you get to the door. There's kids crying for whatever reason. There's a woman who's bleeding. There's a husband who's drunk. Um, so, so how much force do, do you think you're going to have to use? Well, you don't pull out your gun and go in shooting. I'll come to the, to the process in, in a moment. But those are the kinds of things that our officers uh, have to face. And uh, I, for one, uh, am glad that it's them and, and not me. The other portions of the code that we've all thought about, I'm sure, and heard uh, written about, are those provisions that talk about self-defense. Again, very early in the code, it tells you uh, who, uh, what steps you can take to defend yourself. There was, if there are any old lawyers, I see one very old lawyer in the crowd at the back there, uh, <laughs> that had done this kind of work, they would understand how complicated the provisions of the criminal code with regard to self-defense are. Uh, recently, very recently, there was an amendment to our criminal code uh, along with others that have sort of put together all of the varying kinds of uh, sections that dealt with self-defense into a hopefully a more readable and pliable, if there is such a word, um, section so that it can be more readily understood. Um, it's interesting because many cases that are overturned in our courts of appeal have been overturned because the judge either inappropriately explain, explained the self-defense process to the jury and they made a wrongful decision as a result or applied it himself if he him or herself if he or she was giving a judgment regarding self-defense uh, again it uh, it's a problematical thing and if I were speaking to you as a jury and I had to, went through these long provisions as they used to be you'd end up looking at me rather blankly and, and wondering what was that all about and some of the times that I have run jury trials, and there are numerous jury trials in reference to criminal matters where self-defense has been the defense used, it's almost inevitable that the first question you get from the jury uh, after they've been uh, sent away, uh, well, the second question, the first question is usually when's the lunch. Um, <laughs> but the, the first question is often, would you please explain to us the meaning of self-defense. And I have this all written out, so I get my pages out and I read them all again. And uh, you still see the blank looks on people's faces. And that, uh, I guess, is the classic example that I can give in, in that is without mentioning names, and I'm sure you'll remember the name I'm, I'm referring to. I conducted a, a trial in which a police officer was accused of murdering a person in the cells uh, in Pitch Creek. In that particular case, 
his defense was self-defense. That case had three lives, as it were. I heard the first case. It was uh, about three weeks' worth of trial and, and pretrial stuff. And um, the jury couldn't come to a conclusion. And I declared a mistrial, which is what I had to do. And that was the end of it there. The problem related to the manner in which the officer had used his firearm uh, and whether or not he was acting in self-defense. Now, I don't get to talk to the jury, and I don't know what the jury's going to say. I wish I could. All of us who have judged would appreciate the opportunity to, to see what was on the jury's mind. All you can say is that they came out and they said, Sir, we can't come to the conclusion on this. It seemed to me quite clear, however, that they couldn't make up their mind whether the constable was acting in self-defense or not. The second trial went on on exactly the same grounds, and uh, again, there was a mistrial. Uh, my colleague who heard that one said that his view was that it was very, very likely that they had the same difficulty in terms of coming to uh, a decision whether there was self-defense. In the third trial, uh, which, again, in my respect for you, should never have been held to as it is enough, but in the Crown is determined to see this one, I suppose, forever. And um, in this particular case, a finding of uh, not guilty uh, of murder or manslaughter, but guilty uh, or not guilty of murder or uh, guilty of murder, one or the other, but found rather guilty of manslaughter, which in my view was, was not available to the jury. But again, I'm guessing, but that seemed to me that they were saying, well, uh, we've got to do something on this, so let's try and find some lesser ch charge, and, and that's what they did. So again, when you talk about all of this stuff, you, you can see how difficult it is that the police man or woman who's attending to his or her duties is not going to sort of pull out the criminal code, look at the cases and say, now look, can I do this or not? Uh, well, I'm not sure. They have to act, and it's always in, in seconds, less than seconds, less than one second, often that they have to make up their mind. So that's the sort of authority that, that officers have. They have the authority to use uh, uh, violence uh, or force, really, and they have to use it properly. I'm sure some of you here today think that never happens. The next question, however, now that, that I've tried to explain to you where their authority comes from to do it, is um, what guidelines are there for the use of force by the police? I would um, emphasize there are very strict guidelines uh, for our police to follow. Well, thinking about this, um, I decided to get this kind of information uh, from the horse's mouth, if I can use that expression. And I phoned uh, Inspector Bill Kay. You know him as the person whose picture appears on the third page of the, uh, the Daily Disappointment, as I refer to it. Um, and uh, he, uh, he invited me to come down and speak to uh, Staff Sergeant George Karshkat. And boy, I, it was like I struck the mother of Sergeant Karshkat is, is in charge of the training of our police officers. And he is very enthusiastic about it. And I spent a, more than an hour uh, in his office. It's probably the first time I've been in a police station without worrying whether I was going to get out or not. And uh, he, he is, as I say, very enthusiastic about what he does. And, and uh, 
he, he went through the process with me, and he uh, indicated that from the day an officer, it probably starts in college, but from the day an officer is appointed to our city police force, um, he starts his training process, and that process generally goes on until he stops being a police officer. When I was there that particular day, the time that we set, for example, was between two training sessions that he had, the, the, the sergeant had, with his uh, members of the, uh, the long-time members of the force who have to do this constantly. So that, that impressed me. He, he, we went over the training program, and uh, he explained the, the various things that, that uh, happened in the, in the process. There is a carefully crafted process that is, uh, is referred to as a resistance control continuum. This is graphically illustrated on a page that I'm going to ask Knut uh, if he would maybe to distribute. I don't know if I've got enough copies for the tables, but one per table. And you can kind of follow me along because it's the process that is used uh, in training. And it's the process, in fact, that was shown to me at the Pincher Creek uh, Mountie trial by the uh, uh, prosecution as to how police are trained to use force. And so uh, I'll invite if Canute could do something useful for a bit. Uh, <laughs> other than getting me to do this, uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a talk. It may, might look like a kind of odd to you, but it, it, there it is. Uh, um, Just, just one on a table because um, the I, I got to say the budget for um, for speakers at the uh, this gathering is not large, <laughs> and my uh, ability with PowerPoint uh, would express the exemplify the term ludite to those of you who know that. So I I got this and I use a photocopier because I can use photocopiers and. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be useful. As I say, this process here, you can, you can even hunt it up on the, on the internet, is one that's very much uh, used commonly across our country in the United States and in um, other forms than this. I see another, I see a, a former police officer who is sitting in front of me one of my favorite cops, he was a good cop, and I wonder if he had anything like this. Um, but this is certainly what's being used now. So, what, uh, aside, aside from this, I should mention as well that they have at our police station here a very um, sophisticated uh, video library showing circumstances in which they will discuss how they are to be handled. And as well, they have a simulator, sort of like uh, teaching airplane pilots uh, to fly in the, in the cockpit simulators that they have. And this produces uh, situations in which they're, uh, they're bound to act. It kind of reminded me that some of you probably didn't see this particular movie, but I got a great kick out of it. It was called Men in Black. And in it, they were trying to hire a new chap to go around finding space aliens, but they went to a police training school and there was a shooting process going on. Things would pop up all over the place. And that's exactly what, what uh, 
this is, and it's a large, uh, as I say, sophisticated sort of process. Everybody's given a chance to see how they would act when this guy comes out from the door, or that guy's in the window, or somebody jumps out of a car that's being stopped by a police. It's all there, and it's all, you're able to talk about it, discuss it, decide what you might want to do, and if you find yourself in those particular circumstances. So let's just have a look at this for a minute. Um, if you look uh, at the center, it, there's a, just a little ball. It's, it's a circular thing. There's another process that I think the police force here uses as well. It's more in rectangular cards. But the first thing that happens, rather obviously, is that a situation is, has occurred. And then you come upon that situation, and your object as an officer, or as a citizen, I suppose, but as an officer, is to assess uh, the situation, to plan what you're going to do, and then to act. Now, if you look again at this next part of the circle, you see the, the lightest one, it says cooperative. And I'm told, and I'm sure most of you would agree, this is the circumstance in most cases. If you've been stopped by an officer for a traffic violation, I would guess maybe one or two of you have, um, almost inevitably, you're going to be respectful, and you're going to be upset, uh, but you're not going to come out of the car swinging your fists or with a gun in your hand. So, or if you're stopped on the street, or even for more serious things, if you're caught in the act of robbing something or somebody, most often uh, the person ends up, when the officer is present, and you see officer present, as being cooperative. So at that stage, you would say, well, uh, we can deal with this by simply, do you know, I've got to tell you, I can't believe that I couldn't get this into half an hour. Anyways, so maybe we can talk about this after. But if you go around it, you can see exactly what it is. Uh, I'm sure glad there wasn't some clerk that popped up in the courtroom and told me I only had five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> clerk might be looking for a new job. <laughs> but in all events, uh, it's there, and you see it at the upper left. 11 o'clock on the clock, if you will, lethal force. And you've got to go through all the things to get you there. And you have to decide that there's a potential for gross or great, great bodily harm or even death before you get to, your, uh, to that. Now, I want to mention then, when you're doing these things, what is an officer equipped with? Everyone has, everyone who's on the, on the street has pepper spray, a baton, a taser, and a firearm. And again, they're used step by step by step is the idea. You want to control people just by your presence. If necessary, you want to control them by using physical control and hand-to-hand, uh, -hand, uh, that sort of thing, handcuffs. Uh, then you move up to pepper spray, then you move up to the baton, then you taser them. But again, usually, I can just, you know, the police officer is not going to arrive on a scene and he's not going to pull this out and say, let's see now, uh, <laughs> which one is this and where should I go? Uh, he has to have it so ingrained and he has to make a judgment immediately. Keeping in mind that, uh, that I'm just about out of time, what the officer looks for when he or she arrives at the scene are three things. Firstly, time, that's the time to think, and try and uh, consider what he's going to do. Distance, 
that is to say, between him and the potential conflictive situation, and the barricade. And this is really well illustrated in, in the Toronto situation. Here you have a whole flood of police officers arriving with one guy on a, on a bus or a streetcar that night by himself, uh, no obvious gun, he may have a knife, and so they've got time, there's distance, and there's the barricade, the streetcar itself. So one would say, wow, uh, why did they do what they, they did? Well, they, one of them at least has been charged with murder, and that will be heard, and it's not up to me, and certainly not up to you to judge, but certainly we can come to some conclusion ourselves on our, using our own common sense, that one wonders whether that, did, that degree of violence needs to be used. I certainly wonder. And the same in the, in the Vancouver situation. However, you know, if you want to talk about this a little bit more, and I'm sure there may be some questions, uh, I'd be more than glad to try and answer them. Uh, I, again, I don't carry uh, the flag for our police establishment, except to the extent that I have great confidence in them. Uh, whether you believe so or not, they've done a fine job in this city that I've been a member of since 1945. Uh, the worst I ever got was Bill West kicked me in the bunk or being in the pool hall. <laughs> and that's a long time ago. Uh, but uh, I have great respect, and we should all have great respect for the police. I know some of you think to the contrary, but without that you have complete and total anarchy, and, and we see enough of that in other parts of the world that we don't need it here. I take it that I'm just about done, Rev. <laughs> 22 seconds. Well, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs>